All right, today on One Song, we are going highbrow, we're going ethereal, and we're going electronic with a song that marries two of my favorite artists of all time. And it's built around a simple drum loop, a harpsichord, and the voice of God herself. And the vocals on it inspired one of the greatest what-if moments of 90s pop music. The group is Massive Attack, and the song, Teardrop. Shout out to U.S. Soy and the United Soybean Board for supporting this episode of One Song and for giving our podcast studio an unbelievably smooth, sustainable makeover. Here on our show, we dive deep into the music, dissecting every beat and lyric. Sustainability is just like that. Each eco-friendly choice we make is like a single note that contributes to life's melody. That's why Heartbeat and the USB are teaming up to lead the discussion around greening Hollywood. We're talking slashing the carbon footprint of production with soy-based alternatives like soy-based inks for printing scripts, soy foam for soundproofing studios, and even biodiesel generators to power sets. To see our sustainable studio transformation, watch the Tears for Fears episode of One Song and see behind-the-scenes clips of how we pulled the whole look together. It's all on at Heartbeat Audio on YouTube, and the link is in our show notes. Justin and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack. I'm actor, writer, director, and sometimes DJ Diallo Riddle. And I'm producer, DJ, and songwriter Luxury, a.k.a. the guy who whispers about intermolation. <laughs> and this is one song. All right, so we both have a lot to say about this yes. song. I am super passionate about this. Not that I'm not passionate about every no, no, song no, we do. No, 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 but this is special. This is a special You know, one. a lot of times we're dealing with songs that everybody knows. Yeah. They're all over the radio. They're yeah. at your wedding. If you play this song at your wedding... I think you're really cool. <laughs> it's not a wedding track song. But it's people might fall that... asleep and they might cry also. It could not... Not setting it... a, it's, literally called te- it's literally called Teardrop. Yes. Um, it's, it's not a song that you're going to necessarily know from the radio, but I think a lot of our listeners will know it. Exactly. So before we get into it, I want to back up for a second and ask you, Diallo, why do you care about this song and why should our audience care about it? Uh, I just think it's a cool song. You yeah. know, I think that one of the reasons we do this show is because we want people to hear songs they've heard many times a new way. But yeah. another sort of secret goal is just to start a conversation about music mm-hmm. and turn people on to stuff that maybe they haven't heard. Or if they have heard, they thought they were the only person who heard it. And now they're like, oh, yeah, you know, I do know this song. Right. I've heard it in a movie or I heard it when I was walking through a hotel lobby something we're going to talk about a little bit later you know i heard it at the coffee shop when i was unemployed and looking for a job you know like wherever you come across your cool music we want to be one of those places and so we knew we had to do something about massive attack i'm pretty sure the first time i heard this song was 
in a record store, ironically. You know, those, I can't those you said wonderful that. bastions yes. of, of, of music that no longer exist as much as they used to. Do you remember the first time you heard this song? I'm kind of, yes, because it was also at a record store. <laughs> so uh, what record store were you at? And when I was <laughs> where probably, was gosh, man, I mean, given the year, I might have been at Tower, mm-hmm. you know, might have been at Turtles in Atlanta. Shout out to Turtles. <laughs> Shout out to Turtles. Shout out to Sam Goody in the warehouse. None and of all these those... places exist. Oh, hell no. <laughs> right now, everybody under the age gone. of 30 is like, what language is this? What is a record store? It was store? probably a record store. It was what a record. It was, it was at Other Music across the street from Tower in Records. In New York? In New York, yeah. Oh my gosh, Fourth I used street. to love Other Music. Me too. That was my walk. I used to live on Christopher Street and walk across 4th to my workplace on Lafayette. So it's right there on Lafayette and 4th, and that was my... Either walking to or from work, I would sort of you know stop in, and I would constantly be bombarded with amazing new, new music. things. Almost, I feel like I would I would be the guy who walks in, finds out finds out what they're playing, and buys it. Like that's oh, why they're 100%. doing it. hundred percent. You so would walk up times. and you'd be like, "Hey, what song this, is this?" And this. they would be annoyed. That movie High Fidelity <laughs> nailed it. They'd be annoyed. They'd be like, "Oh God, it's Massive Attack. The but name of the song is Teardrop." They're obligated to be annoyed as records. <laughs> it's clerks. on the application. Can you be annoyed by <laughs> innocent questions? Okay, before we get into the song, there's a few things I want us to clarify. First off, musically. How do you classify this song? Well, Teardrop is a slow electronica song, and that's we're about to get into a conversation here because in the moment it came out, 77 BPM, this is down tempo. This is like coming out of years oh, this of, is, this is this is years yeah. of... This is years of disco and house music <laughs> being in the 110s, 120s, even 130s when you talk, you know, Sylvester's at 132, right? With You Make Me Feel Mighty Real. Suddenly we have electronic music being made, and it's much slower. This is what was sometimes called down tempo, Sometimes, the controversial term that we're about to get into, (laughs) trip-hop. Trip-hop. So trip-hop, just really quickly, what is trip-hop? Trip-hop means literally trippy hip-hop. And I know Dion oh, has a lot of really interesting thoughts about that, so I'll <laughs> let you get to that in a second. But just just on the definitional tip, so it is slower music. It's usually very bass-heavy. Um, it doesn't have as much going on instrumentally. It's a lot simpler a lot of times. And it can feel, again, psychedelic is the reason why it's called trip, but then it's instrumental hip-hop, essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know you've got a lot to say about no, that. No, you know, listen, I, I just want to put it in perspective because some of our, our listeners are, are you know younger, and I do feel like the term trip-hop was created so that you know, basically a, a whole generation of white guys who really appreciated yes. hip-hop's beats but didn't either didn't know rappers to give the beats to right or actually felt like in some cases i forget was it was a dj shadow somebody said lyrics are too confining you know they were really like i just like the music so it's almost like because i was a hip-hop head at this time when i found out there was a genre called trip-hop i was like that just sounds like them trying to basically rope off their own area so they can call experiment it what it is whitewash it yeah yeah I mean, that's a little is. bit of a white long history of like there. r&b becoming rock and roll when it becomes white <laughs> yeah, it's the same exactly. thing felt we're like... just changing the name because of the different yeah color the of the way, skin of people making it to that point trip hop i remember when hip-hop you couldn't play hip-hop in certain spaces like hip-hop was not being played in high-end restaurants it was not being played in hotel lobbies right. it was not being played in in places other than like in movies where it was supposed to let you know that the neighborhood was bad you you might get shot in a few <laughs> minutes. like it was that cliche yeah but trip-hop had a respectability right. 
and sort of like a cleanliness. Oh, trip you know, hop in the this eyes. Is the soundtrack of like shoe, st- like absolutely Soho. If you went to a mall, which to those the younger listeners, the mall was when you but would like, no, actually walk into Amazon.com and make your purchase. <laughs> but this is the fancy malls too, right? It's the upscale. <laughs> oh, no, these were the upscale. Yeah, this yeah. was the Beverly Center. This right. was not Fox Hills Mall. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm getting really granular right now. Like every city has <laughs> that like- black mall. You know, it's got this podcast like, is just for LA residents. <laughs> if you're in Atlanta, think Greenbrier Mall versus okay. Linux Mall. Okay. Linux Mall, trip hop, Greenbrier Mall. Let's go through all the cities. Hip-hop. What about San Francisco? Which mall? Oh would it man, be? you know what? We Probably the Westfield podcast on malls, formerly known as the Saramonte. <laughs> but I think that yes, to a certain extent, I had a little bit of an aversion to the term trip hop that I didn't have to the music itself. Yeah, because you know, even before I got into TV and film. I liked music that felt cinematic. You know, to me, the best hip hop albums had, like, you would listen to them in your headphones, you know, and and they would take you to a place. Right. And this music, uh, whether you want to call it trip hop or as I call it, just electronica, it would send you to a place. And suddenly you were in a movie. I think someone described. uh, It's very visual. Very visual. Someone described uh, Portishead, I think, is like soundtrack to a movie that hasn't been made yet. You know, and I feel the same way about Massive Attack. There was something extremely cinematic. They felt like they were influenced just as much by Martin Scorsese as they were by Public Enemy. We're going to get into all that. And your distaste or, or aversion to, or our shared, I think, aversion to the term trip hop. Just the term. Just the term <laughs> was shared by the band themselves, by Massive Attack. The band themselves actually preferred to call it either lovers, hip hop was one term they came up with. I'm not Love sure that. if they said that as a joke, but like they, <laughs> they definitely didn't like trip hop, I think possibly for some of the reasons that you mentioned. And it's important to mention, we're about to get into the story of the band. Yeah. But this is not a, this is not unlike Portishead, which is a bunch of white dudes and we love Portishead. We love them. And, and Beth Gibbons on vocals. Beth Gibbons. Kendrick Lamar loves Beth Gibbons. This she is, showed up on his latest album. This is a multiracial band. Yeah. Before I let that land, that word felt. Is that a word that I should be multiracial? using? Multiracial is nor- no, that's an okay word, just right? A fact. Just a fact. Okay. But I'm um, watching you. <laughs> I feel watched in the best way, a loving, brotherly way. <laughs> and listen, uh, set the scene for us. Massive attack. Who are they, and where do they come from? Excellent question, and I'm glad you asked it. Let's. <laughs> the scene is being set. It's Bristol. A small town in the UK, in Southwest UK, near Wales. It's very isolated. It's not. It's not London, Manchester, Liverpool. It's kind of in its own little area. Five hundred thousand people, and this is really wow, unimportant. That's not a lot. This is extremely unimportant. What I'm about to say, but I just learned it, and I'm very excited about okay. it. Do you know what a demonym is? A demonym. Demonym. God, I fucking do. And you now, do? I've no, never I'm, heard this word. I'm blanking on what it means. When you say it, I'm going to be like, yes, of course. Go a demonym is what you call the people from a place, mm-hmm. but it's this new word that I've learned, demonym. And what, you're excited about this. What do you think someone from Bristol is known as? Oh, God. It's, it's, <laughs> it's not like a weird one, but I just- It's not. I, I like the weird ones. Like, I want it to be Bristolian or you're something. You're right. That's it. No way. It's Bristolian. <laughs> so now we all right. know. Now we all know what a demonym is, and specifically, if you're from Bristol, you're a Bristolian. Who knew that? Okay. So here's the story. We yeah. start in Bristol, where a lot of immigrants from the West Indies after World War II come because there's when the Blitz hits England, there's a yeah. lot of labor shortages. Right. So they're like, anyone from the British Empire will pay your way to come to England and help right, us because their own the nation. male population. You know, because yes. they were only hiring men back then. It's messed up. And they but, didn't have enough. So this is called yeah. the Windrush Generation because one ship is called the Windrush from the Caribbean, from the West mm-hmm. Indies, brings a whole bunch of immigrants from the West Indies. Jamaica, Jamaica Barbados, Barbados etc. Yeah. So that's a that's the bedrock of this story because mm-hmm. when a lot of them come to Bristol and they bring their 
culture with them, which includes sound system culture. Yeah. So you know that I'm a huge obsessive J- Jamaican reggae yeah, dub you, fan. Lee, Lee Scratch Perry. So excited. I finally get to kind of bring it into one of these episodes. Sound system culture. You just did your hands like olive oil when she loves Popeye, which I think is hilarious. <laughs> but keep going. <laughs> to, our younger, to our younger listeners, that's a cartoon. Keep going. <laughs> that's how delighted I am. You are super delighted. <laughs> I've never been more Shout delighted. out to Delight, Grooves of the Heart. <laughs> <laughs> Let's keep going. I'm filled with delight and glee yeah. to talk about sound system culture. Now, for those of you who don't know, in Jamaica in the 50s and 60s, sound systems, bands were not a big thing. The beginnings of DJ culture really begin in Jamaica. And to make a very long story short, and hopefully we'll have many more episodes later. To talk about deep, the Jamaican sound systems. To talk systems. about Jamaican yeah. sound systems. It really is uh, culturally the product of Jamaica that we have the idea of DJing in open air spaces with lots of yep. people and giant bass rigs that are constructed by the people themselves. It's before there was I mean, punk, they're, they're, on, they're, they're attached themselves. to cars, essentially. Like, you're just, it's incredible. You drive a van or a truck it's, around, Yeah, right? that's right. That's right. And these people are building, the Jamaicans are building their own sound systems from discarded, you know, stereo parts. So this tradition is brought to Bristol because of these immigrants who bring their music and the way their music is presented with them. So we have these open air street parties. There's one famous one called St. Paul's Carnival. It's it's multiracial. Mm. Use that word again. Twice in 19 episodes. Wow. <laughs> I'm watching you. <laughs> <laughs> the reason why that's relevant is because there had been racial strife. There's racial strife because they brought in all these people to essentially build, you know, rebuild after, you know, World War II. And then once the buildings are there, they're like, eh, we'd prefer if you guys just go back home. You're making Britain look a lot less like Britain. Yeah. You know, and then they did. They started deporting people. I think it was like, you know, this big scandal. They started deporting right. a lot of people. Well, that, I think that was only recently reported, right? That that, mm-hmm. that had been happening all this time. Yeah. yeah. But back was... in Bristol, there was a single incident where I believe the cops burned down a club and there's such an, unre- there's such an uprising against the cops from it that they stopped. That's like the end... I'm not going to say the end of police brutality in Bristol, but that was the police started to turn a blind eye, basically, to these festivals. They're okay. like, you know what? We're hands off. We, we heard you guys were going to leave you be. <laughs> and it's because of Old that- Old Bill it, was like, I've had enough. And because of that, sound system culture thrives in Bristol in the early 80s, which gives the chance for black and white kids to bring their Jamaican music and their punk music together yeah. in a new way. And disco music and fuck, it's all coming together in a really special way. And these open air festivals open to everyone of all ages. It's really important that it's not in a nightclub. It's not just adults. It's parents and kids. It's it's a very f- community feeling. And this is something I think is one of the reasons why we're covering Mass Attack. It's, it's one of the main themes that I think I take away from not just this song, but a lot of songs that we cover on this show. We Anytime you have cross-pollination in cultures... You end up with cool stuff. Like I think about and Atlanta, new stuff. cool and very new, cool new stuff. Yeah. I think about the city I'm from, Atlanta. Growing up, we didn't have a ton of rappers from Atlanta, but we were getting all the stuff from New York. We were getting all the stuff from LA. We were even getting like the Luther Campbell sound from Miami. And eventually, we ended up with Outkast, right, and Goody Mob, Nothing and then eventually like we got Ti and Ludacris. And we and then it's eventually all of the influences, but synthesized in a completely unique yeah. and new way. And you think about New York, where you know in downtown Manhattan, they were getting rap from the Bronx they were getting you know disco and punk and like it all came together to create this stew and I think what you're saying is that Bristol was you know it had a lot of Jamaican and Barbadian 
Uh, that that's another. What is it? What's the word? Oh damn! I already forgot. Demon, demonim, demonim, demonim. demonim. <laughs> you had, you know, they were bringing the sound system. Mm-hmm. They were bringing the reggae. I think that punk and reggae have kind of gone. I don't want to say hand in hand, but because reggae has just as big an influence on hip hop, obviously. But like when you listen to early like the Police and you listen to, <laughs> which you know we can argue the Police are not punk, but I guess what I'm saying is that there was a lot of reggae yeah. and a lot of punk mixing in the UK, and then. Yep. Because these guys in this particular group, which blows up in the 90s, they're also listening to, you know, 80s New York hip hop. And they're putting that influence exactly in. Exactly right. We're about it to get into something that. new. You're exactly right. We're about to get into that in a really big way. Just one last sort of quality that comes from that comes out of this Jamaican connection specifically is bass. So the advent of bass as a phenomenon that we as we know it today, we really have to thank these DIY sound systems in the 50s and 60s because the idea of replicating bass requires large speakers that yeah, are you gotta push a lot of air together. Through. You have to push a lot of yeah. air. It's a physicality yeah. that prior to Jamaica, we you couldn't really hear it. If you were playing music outside, you would never you wouldn't hear any bass. So it was to solve a problem, to be able to replicate these sounds that they had recorded that they, they liked the bass part of, they innovated these do-it-yourself systems that evolved and evolved and improved upon themselves. And that becomes what we sort of take for granted when we go to a nightclub now, anything bass-related. We really have to thank Jamaica for bringing that into both the replication in a live space, but also on recording. Hugely just, relevant as we get into the We just want to say thank you, Jamaica. Thank you, Jamaica. Thank you, Jamaica. Uh, here's a fun fact for those who don't know. One of the reasons why uh, Beats headphones <laughs> were so... Uh, popular is that they created a lot of space inside the speakers for to pump out that bass. Yes. But what they found is by creating all that space, the spe- the the headphones were really light and people thought they were cheap. So they actually added a piece of metal into the to make it feel heavy. Interesting. But that piece of metal is just there for the weight. It's not there for any other reason but to cover up the fact that there's a lot of space in there to pump out the bass sound. While we're on the topic, I heard that Mount Everest is actually exactly 29,000 feet high, but they, they say 29,000 and like 12 feet to make it seem like it's not rounded off because they don't think people will believe that it's <laughs> yeah, actually always be like, that's exactly just an estimate. What is the feet? exact number? <laughs> hey, all you monument nerds, just accept the fact that sometimes the number rounds itself. So I want to move forward to the making of Teardrop. Um, the process of DJs writing music. We all know that it's different than what you'll find with traditional singer-songwriters. Let, yeah. let, let's, let's talk about that. I, I love this topic because I have learned, I can't come from an instrument you know, playing background. I have a little music theory, a little piano lessons in my background, right? So I I definitely come from a a musician background. Mm -hmm. And I have worked with people who come from a DJ background. And what I've been blown away by is how it's not the disadvantage in the way that you might think it is when you're like, in theory. Actually, DJs who come to the table in the songwriting process bring a deep knowledge of what people respond to first oh and thanks foremost. man thank you so much thousand percent you, <laughs> you who i'm talking about over there diallo with whom i've written songs yeah, yeah, yeah it starts with the dj knowledge is a very specific kind of knowledge it's an understanding of even if it's intuitive even if the next step is getting the language for it it's an intuitive sense of what's going to work what's going to clear the dance floor yeah what's going to go to peak hour and it's also about taste it's also about recognizing what's cool what's been done too many times so yeah. there's all these specific things that i think and obviously I want to hear your perspective because you are the, the, the DJ in question here. <laughs> that is a different way of approaching how to write music. So what as a DJ... I, I'm reminded of the LCD sound system right. uh, song. He's like, you throw away your keyboards and bought turntables. You throw away your turntables and bought keyboards. That's it. You sold your guitars. 
I mean, like, I think about Massive Attack because this is a group that basically starts off doing a lot of sampling, mm-hmm. you know, because they're essentially like DJs, like me. And that that's the third element is the resourcefulness. Yeah. If you don't know how to make a song, a sound, Dude. you find the sound and you use the sound by any means I don't know if necessary. you remember this. The first time I came over to your house, I, 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 you know, I've said many times, public schools failed me. I don't know how to play any instrument that requires notes, but I do know how to drum and I do know how to DJ. Uh, first time I came to your house to work on music, I pulled out my laptop and I pulled, I turned on Serato, which is like the go-to DJ uh, application. And I was literally like, so it sounds a little bit like this. And I started pushing buttons. Yeah. But then it sounds like I pull up another song, but then it's got a part that sounds like this. Yes. And I would play that part. And I was like, can we make something that sounds like that? <laughs> and and like, you just know that we're about to get into these, to the Wild Bunch, which is the name of the Massive Attack's embryonic sound system. Yeah. But you well, just know that they yeah. were doing the same thing. Yeah. And maybe they landed on... Hey, why don't we just what you just did on the just <laughs> on use the that sample that because that sounded what I want to hear. Let's just take that. Let's yeah. just use that. Let's say right from the beginning, Teardrop is off of their third album. You're talking about Massive Attack. Yeah, their first album is full of classics. Yes, it is full of electronic classics, and we'll get into all of that. Now, you just mentioned the Wild Bunch. As I understand it, the Wild Bunch is a bunch of these people out of what they call the Bristol and scene. And they're wild. <laughs> yes. Well, they're named after that uh, movie from the 60s, right? I, well, they're named after a Sam Peckinpah movie, but I think yeah. it might have also been a play on one of their favorite movies, which was... Wild Style. Wild Style. One of my favorite movies. One of my I favorite movies, I legitimately say all the time, if you really want to get into a real sense of what early 80s hip-hop was, you could get almost nothing more authentic yep, than... Yeah, South Bronx, nothing more authentic than the movie Wild Style, directed by Charlie a guy a. named Hearn. Charlie Ahern. Um, music by Chris Stein of Blondie. Yep. There's there's a famous song in there called Subway Rap, which yes. serves as let's, the let's bed. Play it. I had it queued up. Which let's serves as the it. bed of the, for those who may not know it, Nas. if you ever heard Nas is Illmatic, yep. it's the first song you hear in Illmatic. Play and us a little bit of that. This. So this is the song that sampled it. It's the first song on Nas's Illmatic. This is the Genesis by Nas. And you can hear he slowed he slowed it way down. I only bring it up just to say that um, so good, it's got one of the greatest it. moments of unintentional brilliance. There's a stick-up scene where they actually use some guys on set who just rolled up on the set. And sometimes when you're filming, there will be people who just roll up to set. And they were like, hey, can we play like the stick-up kids? And they were like, yeah, sure. It turned out they actually had a weapon. And they were like, we're going to use this weapon in the scene. Um, there's a famous scene where he says, Look, people, you heard it on the radio. You've seen it on a TV show. A to the K. And he pulls out a gun. He says, A to the motherfucking C. And... No, this is not in the script. They just, they told the director, this is just some cool stuff we thought we'd say before we robbed somebody. <laughs> and it made the cut. It made it into the movie. It seems so authentic. Yeah, Wild Style, amazing movie. So yes, Wild Bunch, obviously the Sam Peckinpah movie from the 60s, but Wild Style, um, a movie and, if you will, a movement yeah. that had a big effect on the members of Massive Attack. Excellent. So who actually is in the Wild Bunch? All right. So the Wild Bunch sound system consisted of Robert Del Naya, mm-hmm. who's 3D. That's massive. Attack. We got 
Grant Marshall goes by Daddy G. Massive Attack. We got Andrew Vowles goes by Mushrooms. Mushrooms, Massive Attack. And there are a couple other founding members. Milo Johnson gets uh, a lot of credit for being among maybe even the first two who I think his being the kind of kingpin DJ of the sound system is what led to, I think, Robert Del Naya joining later. Nellie Hooper, importantly, is oh, wow. an early member who goes on to produce Madonna and Bjork, among other people. And uh, we have, not unimportantly, Adrian Thaws, a.k.a. Tricky. Who's a, especially those first couple records, like the Silent Tricky's Force in the member. Massive Attack family. Yeah, he's yeah. in the Massive Attack family. Exactly right. So these guys. And by are, the way, Nelly yeah. Hooper. I mean, like, it totally makes sense to me that the person who worked on the Bjork albums, those early '90s Bjork albums, was also in the scene because you know albums like Debut and Post, like there are very electronica slash trip hop songs on those albums. Exactly. Yeah. And so these guys get together. They throw these sound systems and these are like full on combining elements of West Indian, like Jamaican yep. culture. We've got the big, it's a DJ party outdoors at festivals, I know. all ages. And the music being played is a combination of punk and reggae. It's the clash. It's American hip hop. So they're bringing in elements from Jamaica. They're bringing in elements from New York and hip hop. And they are also b-boying and spray painting and graffitiing. <laughs> like they're bringing in all of the. This is absolutely hip hop, but it's Bristol style with Jamaican influence. It's, it's such an incredible a scene. mix. It's, it's like I, I always wonder, like where where are the scenes today? Like post pandemic, yes, yeah. I'm always looking for the scenes. I think it was. This you sounds told like me, a really fun. David scene. Byrne was like, to have a scene, you have to have you know basically free alcohol for the <laughs> for the for the kids who are going to be making the music right you have to give them a safe place and and i think a sound system would help maybe you and i should start a sound system we we'll should buy start a food a sound truck system. we'll put a whole bunch of speakers on it and then we'll just drive around like we'll drive down sunset maybe we'll start at like sunset in hollywood and like where it meets near silver lake and we'll just drive east towards downtown i'm free monday let's okay, do let's this let's figure that out right. we're going to sound, song, we're gonna start sound a sound system. system one song sound system sounds really dope too actually i like that <laughs> sounds like some hooligans to me uh, <laughs> so we, they're getting mixtapes from america yeah. before london does uh and it's important to note that robert del naya aka 3d we'll call him 3d from the point this point forward yeah he is one of the first graffiti artists in Bristol. He pioneers that stencil graffiti that you've seen a million times. And by the way, he's rumored to be Banksy. Now, this I think he denied that, right? He's denied it, but that doesn't make him not Banksy. Because <laughs> Banksy would fess up. If you are you Banksy, oh, fine. but I have seen footage you of him. Me. I've seen if you see there's on YouTube, you can go see footage of some of these early sound system parties mm -hmm. in Bristol and you see him spray painting and it's that Banksy style with the stencils where they've clearly just printed out a photograph. So he's either lying yeah. or Banksy's a freaking hack. Yeah. <laughs> but there's all these like people on the internet have like tracked like Banksy a new Banksy showed up in a town that like Massive Attack just <laughs> was just in. in. Right. Insane. Yeah. So we don't know. We don't know. We're not confirming or denying but right. we are throwing it out. But there. Banksy if you want to come on one song the invitation is there. So we talked about the DJ approach to songwriting. This band, this group of people, gradually starts to put together their first musical piece. It happens to be the first single by Massive Attack, before they're called Massive Attack, is called The Look of Love, and it's by the Wild Bunch Sound System. Mm. And it's a Dusty Springfield cover. I'm going to play a little bit for you. That's the next thing. And the reason why this is relevant to our conversation about the DJ approach to songwriting is that it's literally just that. It's just 
a breakbeat, which might be a drum machine. It might be a combination of a loop from a record. And then Sharon Nelson, who goes on to perform on Blue Lines, their first record, is singing on top somebody else's song composition. So they're just, they don't know how to play instruments other than Cher, who's an incredible singer, but they're like, we want to make a song. Let's just grab what we can grab. We, we don't want to write anything, <laughs> so we're going to use a cover. We don't know how to make anything melodically, so we won't have any instruments. So it's just a drum beat and this girl who sings incredibly well. Which to me is totally legit. Yeah, me too. Music making. So we've got the Wild Bunch. This group of, of, of gentlemen eventually splinter off into different factions. They're still friends, but they're just doing different projects. 3D... Mushroom and Daddy G become Massive Attack. And in part, they're inspired to do this by Nana Cherry. Shout out to Nana, who <laughs> Buffalo Stance, one of my favorite underrated gems of the late 80s. She took them under her wing, basically. And she they were gave like, them some financial support. They were like, you guys are really talented, but you need to finish what you start. Mm. So he, she brings them into her house, and they're in her baby's room making <laughs> starting to make what becomes one of the greatest electronic albums yes. if not album albums of all yeah. time and i know you've got a lot to and say it's about called this. it's called blue line yes we both adore this record did yeah. you want to you want yeah, well, to talk I think about it that, you know it's such an important record it's got uh be thankful for what you've got and safe from harm and so many songs that if you we don't have time on today's podcast but but go listen to blue lines you will recognize so many songs if you were at all alive in the 90s, you'll recognize so many songs. Yes. And you didn't know, some of you didn't know that those were Massive Attack songs. We're just going to play a clip of a song off the album called Unfinished Sympathy, called by some critics one of the first truly great dance songs. It was an anthem for this new sort of multicultural Britain that, you know, these kids had come, uh, had come up in. And uh, here's a clip of that. Man, that song still gives me chills. It's just a masterful dance record. Um, if you listen to Blue Lines now, like you hear like soul music, dance music, basically what is you know British hip hop. Like you hear from that era. Like you hear so many things. But by the third album, things in the '90s have gotten dark, and we come to the album Mezzanine, yes. which is an absolute classic, but is also going to help tear this band apart. And on this album we have the song that we're talking about today, which is Teardrop. Where would you like to start? We have the stems on Teardrop. Where would you like to start? Well, let's start with the drums. And this is going to be one of the quickest stems we've ever done because they're <laughs> so... The elements that are there are very sparse and they're very looped, which is to say that across the duration of are the Are they song, live? Is this a drummer or a sample? So the drum beat is a sample. Let me play it for you first in the mix. Ooh, what's and now the you're, you're going to laugh a little bit when you hear the sample because you know <laughs> you just, just kind of heard it. <laughs> oh, wow. It's actually something sped up. I would not have guessed that. This is Les McCann. It's called Sometimes I Cry from 1973. And you're right. They just took that one loop, that one beat, and they looped it through the song. This, they added another second kick underneath it. Boom, Play boom, us just a boom, little cat. bit of Les McCann's, just like a, a meaty part of the song, just so we get a sense of where that beat comes in. Ooh. Smooth. Got that Ooh. Rhodes in there. 
Got that 1973. Anything from 1973. I think everything from 1973 sounded amazing. There's nothing bad that came out in 1973. (laughs) So smooth. Les McCann. So that that gets um, looped, and there's a second kick drum added to make the beat slightly different. That boom, 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 ka. So let me just back up and mention that there's a fourth member of the inner circle of music makers who joins the fray, and that's Neil Davidge, the producer. Um, he adds a harpsichord part, which I'll play for you in a second. Oh, wow. This comes out of the fact that Mushroom was in the studio. One day he walks in, and Neil just happened to be messing around, and he comes and he plays this part. And Mushroom's like, whoa, stop right there. I love this. <laughs> and here's what he was. here's what he heard. I love it. And once again, that's another element that just goes through the entire six and a half minute duration it's, of this it's, song. It's so never changing. It's so dark and wonderful. It's dark and wonderful. <laughs> well put. So the next thing I want to play for you, Diallo, are you ready for this? We were talking about bass and the importance of bass to Jamaican culture and dub. It's really important to set that up when I play for you the stem, because what you're going to hear might seem sort of simplistic or insignificant, borderline insignificant. But this is the bass line. Once again, going through. Not sure I've ever heard that before. And it does have a sub in the mix, meaning there's another part that doubles it. But essentially, that on giant speakers Mm -hmm. is devastating, you know. Uh And sometimes when you hear isolated stems like this, you that that context isn't doesn't really come through. Yeah. But this is one of those albums, and this band, and possibly this entire genre, is designed, as we now know, for sound systems and for bass to come through and destroy your emotional state. (laughs) So this is actually a bass or lift you up that, in spite of its simplicity, is incredibly powerful in the in the context of the song. Now, what I'm going to play for you is the piano part. And it's layered with this Leslie, which is that sound. I'll just you hear that in the background. Those things are on top of each other. Yeah. And that Leslie is a kind of speaker that rotates and that gives it that kind of oldie, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of um, Beatles feel to it. In fact, oh no, I Beatles like it. it it's, it's, it's sort of an oldie sound. By the way, if they didn't add that, if they didn't have that fourth piano note in there, I yeah. think we would all just die. <laughs> like that third note is so dark. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like I mean, like I'm glad they gave us the like yeah. it's almost like, hey, but the sun's gonna come back up, you guys. The minimalism. Each of those notes has its own emotion. You're dead right. Every single yeah. note there has mm-hmm. a personality. Mm-hmm. That third note is an absolute killer. And I mean that actually in the best way. Um, I, al- I often say that like I think the through line of some of my absolute favorite hip-hop songs of all time, from Ill Street Blues by Cool G Rap to New York State of Mind by Nas, is Chunky Piano. <laughs> I'll even call it Chunky, chunky. Piano. If you're a but, listener of the show, you, <laughs> you know, know what that that's is. The, that's, that's the, that's the way. Callback. Drinking callback. game. Do your shots. Chunky. <laughs> but I think that there's something about like a rich piano mm-hmm. That like there's just texture and there's depth there yeah. that like very few other instruments can tackle. Also, one other thing I'm noticing there. Yeah. One other thing I'm noticing is the scratchiness. Can you can you say something about where does that scratchiness come from? Well, the scratchiness literally comes from the sample because they're literally taking the record, the vinyl record, which has aged from 1973 to 1998, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. it's a 20 plus year old record, <laughs> and they're recording it 
into their sampler yeah. in order to use Analog. it. And it, it comes warts and all, and that includes this, the actual red and white cord. crackle, the, the vinyl <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. sound of the vinyl that's mm-hmm. a 20-year-old piece of vinyl, which, of course, aesthetically adds and contributes to the darkness and the melancholiness of the song. It makes it gives us this sort of oldness, this kind of mustiness. I love right? it. And that's it's intentional. Dusty. There isn't a goal to clean it up to make it sound pristine. To, to, to quote Mrs. Potato Head from the Toy Story movies, it's dark and dusty. <laughs> <laughs> and let me just recap everything you've listened that you've just heard. All of there's not a lot of things I just played for you, but that for the first minute or so of the song is all you're getting. And here's what it sounds like just to remind you in the mix. Listen to how full and rich that is. You don't need much more. But you know what's crazy? This is that one time where I feel like the bass is really not the standout instrument. Like, you played that bass part. I had never heard it before, and I'm still not really hearing it. It's there. It's something intangible. Maybe I'm feeling it. No, but I am feeling the harpsichord, and I am feeling the piano. Those are the things that are working in Those are the superstars. Well, we talked about riffs on another episode. Uh This is the episode we're going to make you go back and listen to all the other episodes you missed. So go back to the superstition episode if you missed it. (laughs) But we talked about riffs. This is not really a bass riff, per se. You don't walk away from the song thinking about the bass line yeah. you may never actually notice it to your point you're absolutely feeling it though in your body as you experience the song because it is providing the bedrock some of the emotional bedrock I would say I think the drums with the scratchy vinyl vibe plus that simple bass line which is really rich that combines to create this bedrock which is very dark and melancholy and, and vibey wow I mean it's so cinematic I absolutely love it Before you go throwing another teardrop on the fire, we will be getting deeper into Teardrop by Massive Attack. That's after the break. We'll be right back. Shout out to U.S. Soy and the United Soy Bean Board for supporting this episode of One Song. And for giving our podcast studio an unbelievably smooth, sustainable makeover. Here on our show, we dive deep into the music, dissecting every beat and lyric. Sustainability is just like that. Each eco-friendly choice we make is like a single note that contributes to life's melody. That's why Heartbeat and the USB are teaming up to lead the discussion around greening Hollywood. We're talking slashing the carbon footprint of production with soy-based alternatives like soy-based inks for printing scripts, soy foam for soundproofing studios, and even biodiesel generators to power sets. To see our sustainable studio transformation, watch the Tears for Fears episode of One Song and see behind-the-scenes clips of how we pulled the whole look together. It's all on at Heartbeat Audio on YouTube, and the link is in our show notes. Dive into the start of summer at Whole Foods Market. Check out their summer splash event with sales on fresh organic produce, organic strawberries, and a fan-favorite sale on Ben & Jerry's and Talenti. Explore deals on grill-friendly meats like organic air-chilled chicken breast, beef and chicken kebabs, all with no antibiotics ever from our meat department. Plus, grab easy sides from prepared foods and cool off with refreshing drinks. Kick off your summer and shop in store or online at Whole Foods Market today. Just in and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. 
But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader. Welcome back to One Song. Okay, so we want to try something new today. It's a segment we're calling One More Song. And the premise is real simple. Every episode, Luxury and I will bring in a song that you probably haven't heard before. Maybe it's a deep cut, a hidden gem, something a little obscure like Namibian drum and bass, Siberian jazz hop, or an actually good rap rock song. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll share it with each other and with you. Luxury, you go first. What you got for me? Well, my One More Song is called Man Next Door. And it's by John Holt. Great song. So the reason I chose this one is because this record, Mezzanine, has a cover of that song by Horace Andy. He's got a very distinctive voice. And uh, I love the cover. I love the original. It's one of those songs that... They both, I can't choose between them. I love them both equally. But if you own the record Mezzanine, you probably recognized that because it appears covered as such. There's a man that lives next door. I just love the transformation. I mean, the one more song I've chosen is the original, but like I said, both of them just have, it's the same song, but they're two completely different songs. The magic of a good cover, right, is that you can experience it in a completely different way. Awesome. Also, I think that it's cool that the song is called Man Next Door, and these are guys who are basically all from the same neighborhood. So this is true. in some ways, it's about them. My one more song is a song called Manila by an artist named Silenluf. So I started to dance So the reason I like this song, I like sort of like off the beaten path dance songs. This song was recorded by uh, a, a producer named Celan Luf from Zurich. Uh, and the vocals are a 12-year-old kid from Compton named uh, Michael Smith. Uh, Celan Luf was recording his album in Los Angeles. Uh, he was paired with this this guy. The kid is literally singing about being on an airplane crashing. Okay. Um, so sorry if that's like the thing that scares you off. But it's just a good dance song. And it can be used as a uh, allegory for, you know, when things are going wrong. He's like, but I started to dance, you know, without wearing a seatbelt. I started to dance without wearing a life vest. Uh, wow, that's amazing! It's it's a really For cool a song. Year old. What a what a narrative! No, <laughs> and, I, the and I just really like uh, yeah. you know some off the wall dance songs, and so I wanted that to be my first one more song. That's a great choice. To our listeners, if there is a song that you would like us to listen to, potentially yeah, we want to hear your ideas, play yeah, and potentially play during the one more song segment, hit us up in the comments. And uh, send us the DMs on Instagram, on TikTok. I'm, of course, at Diallo, D-I-A-L-L-O. And Luxury is... At Luxury, L-U-X-X-U-R-Y. That's right. That's us. And that's one more song. 
Okay, so back to the topic of today's show, Teardrop by Massive Attack. Luxury, tell us how Massive Attack accomplishes atmosphere in right. the song. Well, we talked a little bit about before when we were listening to the drum beat and the sample. We have just the crackle noise of the vinyl adds a little bit because all of the instruments and all the parts they're playing are very simple. So one way to achieve just listener interest across the song, besides the vocals, which mm-hmm. we're about to get to, is there's lots of little just interesting sounds and interesting just moments that come and go. So I'm going to play a few of those for you. And when you hear them isolated, you'll be, you may not even notice them or recognize them. And then in the mix, it'll become the thing that as you listen to the song from here on out for the rest of your natural life, you will never unhear, oh, that's that thing where they did that thing. Mm-hmm. One that's really a particular interest to me, I'm not positive what it is, but my speculation, because it shows up in the stems, it's called Plug One. <laughs> I literally think this might be, and, and because I own, you know, I'm a producer, I think this is the sound of a cable from like a guitar being plugged in and taken out again yeah. with lots of distortion and delay and effects it's, added to it's it. It's not a member of De La Soul. It's, to it be could clear. be, it could be Plug One, could be Plug Two. It's not Plug Three anymore. Okay. R.I.P. True going. <laughs> Talk about going dark. <laughs> it's a dark song. Uh, let's hear Plug One. Now, when I play that for you in the mix, you'll be like, oh, yeah, that's that thing that does that thing. You think that's a plug? Listen to it. Literally, the beginning of the song is this sound. And again, this is speculation, but if you listen to it carefully and in your mind, you've got the image of, you know, a guitar, someone unplugs the cable from it. It mm-hmm. makes noise because it's electrified in that moment if it's mm-hmm. still plugged into the amp. Yeah. So if you take that electrified plug and you plug it back into the into the guitar, the moment before it's fully plugged in, it makes a a sound, which is a little to my ears, like this. I could be dead wrong, but that's what I think 3D, Daddy G, Mushrooms. (laughs) Feel free to email or comment. Either (laughs) way. tell us if we're way off or way on. Either way, what it is is one moment that happens a handful of times throughout the song. There's a few more little sounds like that. Here's another one. Now, this one shows up. It's called Hammond. So I'm pretty sure this is a Hammond Hammond organ. And here's what it sounds like. Not from Oregon. but (laughs) Hammond Hammond. I don't know why I said Oregon. Here's a Hammond (laughs) organ. Right? Yeah, that's a that's a. Do you Hammond. recognize that yeah. song? Mm-hmm. And it's almost non-pitched. Like the, there isn't much of a clear clarity of what that pitch is. It's more mm. of a, like if you just bash a Hammond organ <laughs> rhythmically, and you'll see a lot of like passionate keyboard players, like yeah. organ players, will do that. And here it is in the mix. So again, next time you hear the song around the two-minute mark, you'll hear this. Right. Little moments like that pepper up a pretty sparse arrangement. Did not really catch that one either. There's all kinds of little things going on. I'll play. In there. I'll play you one more fun little moment, mm-hmm. little little sound yeah. that just shows up. It's called Nord Beep. Here's the Nord Beep, <laughs> and that's it. I mean, Nord being uh, probably a keyboard, right? Nord is a gorgeous, very expensive keyboard, and now I'll play that one for you in the mix. This one's maybe a little bit more noticeable. <laughs> So all of these things combine and you know there's there is a string patch and there's some more synths but basically what we have musically speaking is a very sparse bed of atmospheric sounds and just you know the bass loop is simple the drum loop is simple all of this is engineered to make the vocal shine all the more yeah and guess what we get to listen to now the vocal 
I love it. And now, ladies and gentlemen, at long last, the vocals of Miss Elizabeth Fraser from Cocteau Twins, sometimes known as the voice of God. Gentle impulsion shakes me, makes me lighter, fearless my I don't know about you, man, but... Wow. Uh, you know what? I never knew those lyrics before, and I still don't know what the song's about. <laughs> that's, a, that's a feat. <laughs> We're going to um, try and break that down in a moment, but I mean, just from a, like ears and spine yeah. tingling span. And I point. think that what the 90s had, that um, it's, still, it's still a thing, but it's different now. There was like a sort of... Um, you know, I think about Elizabeth Frazier. I think about Beth Gibbons. I think about Bjork. You know, coming out of the sugar cubes, you know, like there's a, there was a, there was a '90s vocalist um, <laughs> that you just you don't hear those kind of vocals anymore. That is some really really icy stuff. I I think it's yeah. uh, it's this amazing. This is this is uh you know I, I don't know if technically you'd call it crooning, but the type of singing she's doing. She's <laughs> is not, it singing in cursive? She's, it's not singing in cursive. <laughs> we'll talk about that on another episode. But she's not belting it. We no, talk, she's not belting. This is it. this is in fact, if you are singing this way as she is in a live setting, it's very difficult to hear. Like so, the live performances of her, they like you can tell that they boosted her. Of course, it's basically a, a speaking voice. Yeah, she's she's like way of speaking, singing. almost whispering. Very intimate. But that's but it's but it's very icy and cold in a good way. Uh, in the way that I appreciate the Cocteau Twins. Like, you know, and I know we're going to talk about, why don't we talk about that? Tell me the backstory about this truly haunting vocal performance uh, and the lyrics. Well, Elizabeth Fraser is in one of my favorite bands, Cocteau Twins, or I should say was, and in fact was married to- Love the Cocteau Twins. Love the Cocteau yeah. Twins. If you haven't already absorbed their catalog, maybe start with <laughs> Heaven or Las Vegas. She's famous for not singing in English. That's interesting. You go many, to that one. My well, favorite, my the, favorite album is Garlands. As it, just as an intro, I was going to say oh, for, okay. for new listeners because their first few records don't have. She's singing in essentially a gibberish or a made-up language. Mm. And Heaven or Las Vegas is one of the first records that I would I think are is accessible to a new listener. My friend, I actually English. think Garlands is a little bit more upbeat tempo wise. Okay. So I, I will, I'll admit my favorite song by them is uh, Wax and Wayne. Okay. So, like, there's just a part of me that's like, you know, we, we, we've bonded on post-punk before. So, uh, tempo-wise, I think if you're looking for something a little more upbeat, Garland's, but if you're looking for Elizabeth's you I mean, know, vocals at the forefront, let's do Heaven or Las but, Vegas. But, I mean, if you want to go down a rabbit hole, just, you know, call me at, at luxury.com <laughs> on it, and because we can talk about this all day and all night. Every song from every album has its own sort of feeling. So I'm I'm yeah. such a fanboy for Cocteau Twins and specifically for Elizabeth Fraser. The existence of her on a song with Massive Attack, these mm-hmm. two titans of my, you know, favorite music makers coming together is such a pleasure. There you go. Um, so, but she is often referred to as the voice of God. This is something that a writer for Melody Maker once said, and it sort of stuck amongst a certain group of us. And some of our listeners like, voice of God, man, I didn't come here for this. <laughs> Don't try to convert me. <laughs> so when the Cocteau twins end acrimoniously, because she's with Robin Guthrie, the writing partner and guitar player and mastermind behind that band, the two of them are married, they have a child, and then things end. 
So after Elizabeth Fraser um, and the Cocteau Twins implode, she goes on to briefly date um, the incredible singer Jeff Buckley, son of another incredible singer, Tim Buckley. And um, when he passes away, it's May 29th, 1997, and he's 29, and he drowns tragically in the Mississippi River. And she finds out about his disappearance in the middle of her writing the lyrics to this song. And she seems to feel there's sort of a chill that goes down her spine as she learns of his disappearance in the middle of what this song was about sort of emerging from her vocal Mm. melodies and her lyrics. They just connected in a way that she found very chilling. She ends up saying, I got letters out. I was thinking about him. That song's kind of about him. That's how it feels to me anyway. So there's a connection that she feels to, 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 to her relationship with Jeff Buckley who passed away that, right in the middle of the song. Wow, I, yeah. I never knew that. Now, Elizabeth Frazier wasn't the only singer that was sort of in the running to right. sing this song. That's right. It's, it's one of the greatest what-ifs of 90s music. Tell, tell us about it. <laughs> well, if you'll recall at the top of what we were discussing, the song's origins, we have it beginning with the harpsichord yeah. and with Mushroom laying down a beat. Yeah. And so once they had this germ of an idea, Neil... The producer, Neil, continues to work on it separately with 3D, and the two of them send it to Elizabeth Fraser because Uh they adore her vocal and they think it'd be perfect for it. But but Mushroom was not that excited about it, right? Mushroom is not excited about that (laughs) at all. When they they hear the melody she comes up with, they're like, this is perfect, write some lyrics for it. So Mushroom actually does not like Lizzie's version, uh, Uh Cocteau Twins Lizzie. So he hears actually a version of her singing it. He does, and he actually removes his beats. He takes <laughs> off the recording, oh, wow. his percussion track, and then when Neil and 3D return to the studio, it's gone. So <laughs> they have to replace it. They have to collage their recording, their demo, with drums and percussion, which they borrow from another track they're working on. They actually bring in the engineer, Dave Jenkins, who plays the piano, which we, we just heard. Like, that's on the final recording. Yeah. Um, so there, there's a splitting. There's kind of a yeah. papal schism going on for this song where we've got one version over here that is being worked on and and is the completed version with Elizabeth Fraser from Cocteau Twins. But there's this second version that makes its way across the pond. And one day they get an email or a, a call. They get communication comes in basically from Madonna's management saying she loves the song <laughs> yeah. and she can't wait to finish and it. And this is Madonna during her ray of light period. This is Madonna Louise Ciccone at her finest, at her height. <laughs> well, actually, you're right. When is 1998? Is 1998. She's, she's, she's experimenting with stuff that's sort of like left field pop. <laughs> That's so crazy. I mean, Madonna during the Ray of Light era. How do you think it would have gone down if Madonna had? I mean, it would have been a completely different song. <laughs> I don't even know what they have in common in terms of like vocal style. Would or have registers. been completely different. I don't yeah. know. I don't know if it would have because I think that you know. I guess it would have. I guess it would be a completely different song if Madonna sings it. It's not as icy. It's not as. The song we think of now is "Teardrop." I like, love to Madonna, me, but it's, she's not an emotional yeah. singer to me. Like I yeah. don't, I don't get the. It the might chills. have sounded more polished and yeah. more pop. Like Elizabeth Fraser opens her mouth, and I'm in tears, and I'm a puddle on the totally. ground. Totally. Like, but by the way, the I also understand where Mushroom's coming from because it's tough when you want to. You know, I know where. I feel like I know where Mushroom wanted to go. Like he wanted to probably segue into you know more DJ stuff and more. Exactly. And meanwhile, 3D 
clearly like just bringing more instruments and more like he's going in a more band direction. That's right. That's absolutely right. In fact, uh, I know that Mushroom leaves the group around this album. Two years later, Daddy G, the other black guy in the group, leaves the group. And then it's just 3D, and he yep. puts out an album, I think it's 100 Windows, right. which, you know, a lot of, you know, sort of a divisive album in the in the Pantheon. For, it doesn't quite fit in the same way. It's a good record, yeah. but it's all live instruments. He wants to move away from DJing and sampling. And not 100%, but it's certainly a big change from the, fir- <laughs> the first three. Yeah. I, I remember when, when Daddy G came back, uh, I was actually DJing by that point, and I remember the big quote was, I'm bringing the black back to Massive Attack. <laughs> you know, like, well, that is a wonderful <laughs> rhyming sentence, and I'm very impressed by it. <laughs> by his rhyming skills. Um, I mean, so that's a pretty big, you know, what if hanging right, over the song, only. what if Madonna had said It would have it. certainly been interesting. Yeah, I would have loved to have heard well, it. Well, that's what's funny. It doesn't have to be just an interesting what if anymore. Through the fantastic oh, use no. of computers. Don't tell me. Yeah, uh, somebody suggested we use artificial intelligence. I know this is going to be a very controversial <sighs> thing that we're going to do. It almost but feels mandatory to try. Oh, I know. But it also, I hate it already. <laughs> uh, we used artificial intelligence to make it, And you we know, are so sorry in To advance. create, I know, I, I hate but myself. But think of it even. as a learning moment <laughs> a healing learning learning moment. through the use of copywritten material <laughs> we are going to find out now what does it sound like when madonna sings teardrop let's li- let's listen to a little bit of this i hate this so much I mean, AI nailed it. That oh, sounds God. just like Madonna. Oh. If she didn't speak English. <laughs> the robots are not taking over this week. That's Wait, for before sure. we move on, I kind of want to hear. Let's see what would, it would sound like if we had a more contemporary singer. Let's see what happens when you put Ariana Grande oh, in the mix. Here we go. It kind of works. You know what's weird about that is that sounds like that sounds way more like Ariana. Yeah, and it sounds pop, and it kind of turns the song pop. It sort of successfully AI's yeah what it's trying to do. Yeah, but it's still uncanny and creepy and weird. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know oh, exactly. Yeah. Like Ariana's like listening to the show, like unsubscribe. Yeah, one star. <laughs> oh no, oh no, Ariana. Do your research. Do your research. At least give us three stars. <laughs> I know. Come on, Ariana. Come on the show. So one coda to this story is Mushroom quits because of the split, the fracture coming from this song, coming from the two different versions. Although, interestingly, Elizabeth Fraser is on this record a couple more times, and one of her other songs is called Black Milk, which Mushroom ends up doing with G and without 3D. So in spite of him not liking her voice for that other song, he did think it would be appropriate for a different song. So, And in spite of all... So there's clearly a lot going on in terms of the creative fracture that comes out of this, because they never work together again. They're right. always in different units or isolated, but they still hang out together. And oh, wow. in a Mixed Mag interview that same year, after they acrimoniously split, I'm doing air quotes, um, they say, we get on really well together as long as we don't talk about music. As soon as we talk <laughs> about music, we argue. So the friendship remains intact to some degree in spite of that. And I think that their legacy remains intact. We don't have time to talk about every trip-hop group every electronica group <laughs> but, but as we'd love to. it's worth mentioning that songs like uh you know hellers around the corner by tricky and uh, so tricky. many wonderful songs by groups 
like you know everything from you know Morchiba to uh, the sneaker pimps, which we, more, I, we mentioned Portishead many times. Portishead, I mean, come on, Glory Box. If you yeah. listen to one other song. Sour times. Um, <laughs> listen to Glory Box. You'll be like, oh my God, how cinematic, how dark, yeah. how cool. Before we end, I want to ask you, what do you see as their legacy? Well, it's one of those things where preparing for this episode made me remember, I went down the rabbit hole of just listening to all the music that I loved at the time, Mm -hmm. and it doesn't feel dated. It feels certainly that tempo, that trip-hop vibe, a lot of the choices that are made with, you know, bass and sampling, it's certainly, I know when it's from when I hear it, but it also feels fresh to my ears again. Yeah. We're kind of living in a time where everything is sort of recombining things that have come before. And this, I agree. This to me, I would DJ at our next you know, <laughs> DJ night at Pinkies. You know, in Los um, Michael Gonzalez, who's a writer for Vibe, said that this music still sounds like tomorrow, and That's I would a great agree. Way to put it. Except yeah. that if I'm being really hard, um, these you know, there's so many drill rappers coming out of the UK. Like now, when I listen to BBC Radio One, it sounds very different than it did 20 and 25 years ago. Obviously, which is a good thing. Um, I feel like the music is back to being dark. I feel like the the sort of multiculturalism that was championed when Massive Attack was making their music is now literally the source of political and social strife in the UK because, you know, even more than it was in the 90s, many people in the UK are stressed out because they say there's too much immigration and we've seen the, the, the you know, what's resulted from Brexit. Mm-hmm. And so now, like, it seems even more confrontational if you are presenting a picture of the UK that isn't, you know, just the traditional white face. Right. Um, so I think we'll have to see where things go in the next, you know, couple of years. But I think for now, we can look back on Massive Attack and say, this is the best case scenario. This is the this is what is good, what happens when uh, cultures, you know, mingle and mix and throw everything into a stew. And it's experimental. And what they were trying to do was not be hit makers. They weren't aiming for the pop charts. They were aiming to just be true to what they yeah. loved. Mushroom said so yeah. much. He was like, when we first started out, we were making music for ourselves. And, yeah. I, and he basically said, you guys are sold out, man. You guys are <laughs> writing for the critics, man. And I understand that that's part of the process yeah. because, you know, even the movie Wild Style, to go back to that, they didn't know that they were making a seminal hip hop movie. Right. He literally said, I was making Wild Style because I wanted a movie that could you know be shown on some of those theaters that were on 42nd street he had no idea that he was making a movie that you know almost 40 years later is now being held up as the seminal this is early hip-hop in new york movie that was not the goal the goal was just to make a movie that his friends could go see so it just goes to show that being authentic when you're making something if it's something that you believe in and that you'd like and you're not looking too much to being like something that already exists when you're bringing in disparate elements that feel very personally of interest to you and 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 represent your genuine authentic loves it will probably last longer it will probably be more meaningful for more people for a longer period of time and i think that this song and this record and maybe even this most of this band's output i think 
checks those boxes. You know, when I first started off DJing, I was DJing at a lot of hotels. <laughs> you know, oh my god, that was hotel back factor. when it was really risky. Yeah. When a DJ was like in a hotel lobby, people were like, "Oh, this is insane!" <laughs> right? They, were, they would be really excited. Point, wasn't it? They were really excited to see a DJ in the lobby, oh, and then they cool. proceeded to ask you where the bathroom was, which was so <laughs> insulting. Um, but there was a time when this dark sort of like you know hip hop influenced music. Uh, was really on the cutting edge, and I'd love to see it, you know, come back in that way. Because I think, with so many people trying to make these pop records, we'd really like to see people go back to making music for themselves and also music that is just cinematic in scope. Yeah. Until then, I think we have to admit that this period is over. And for that, I will shed a teardrop. Luxury, help me in this thing. I'm producer, DJ, and songwriter Luxury, and I'm actor, writer, director, and sometimes DJ Diallo Riddle. And this is one song we will see you same time next week. Don't forget to like and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. It really helps us a lot if you can give us five stars and leave a review. Shouldn't take you that long, and it will mean that you get to hear more episodes of your favorite podcast, One Song with Luxury and Diallo Riddle. <laughs> this episode was produced by Matthew Nelson with engineering from Marcus Hom. Additional production support from Leslie Guam, Charles Childers, Jordan Calling, and Alicia Shimada. The show is executive produced by Kevin Hart, Ty Randolph, Mike Stein, Brian Smiley, Eric Eddings, Leslie Guam, and Eric Weil. Did you know that Mike Myers was accused of stealing one of his characters in Austin Powers? Or that Gina Davis chose Brad Pitt over George Clooney in Thelma and Louise? Or that Tom Cruise had a clause in his contract that he wouldn't go topless in Top Gun? If you're curious to hear more film facts, you should be listening to our podcast, Unspooled, where on any given episode, you're going to learn something fascinating about a film you thought you knew. I'm Paul Shear. You might know me from my podcast, How Did This Get Made, The League, Black Monday, or Fresh Off the Boat. I'm Amy Nicholson. I'm a film critic who writes for the New York Times. And on Unspooled, we unspool famous films to see if they are truly all-time classics. Or just remembered that way. Listen to Unspooled, new episodes every Thursday, wherever you get your podcast. Justin and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack.